us since the beginning of the year, we have gone through a series called The Gospel According to Exodus. And this is really the culmination of the entire story of the Exodus, the Red Sea crossing. There has been so many different allusions throughout the rest of the Bible about the Red Sea crossing. Throughout the Old Testament, it's talked about dozens and dozens of times, and even in the New Testament, that's talked about over and over and over again. And kind of the whole theme that I've been trying to uh, communicate to us here at Redeemer Church is that the Exodus story is our story of salvation. And I think that's what the Bible is teaching us. If you remember our Advent series, whenever we were going through that, we were looking at how Matthew had talked through so many different prophets who had prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus himself. And one of the times that Matthew says, uh, uh, gives a prophecy, is whenever uh, Jesus has to flee from Bethlehem and go and live in Egypt. And it, and it says, Matthew makes a point of saying, this is to fulfill the prophecy that said, out of Egypt I am calling my son, which is a quote from Hosea, the book of Hosea, which is very clearly pointing back to uh, the Exodus here in Exodus chapter 14, which is a pretty big hint that what Matthew was trying to communicate, the gospel writers were trying to communicate that what Jesus was doing for us in the cross and in his resurrection was the ultimate exodus, was the ultimate getting out. This was the real deal. This was what the exodus here in this story was actually pointing to, what Jesus accomplished in our place. And if you were with us last week, no big deal. If you weren't, if you weren't here with us, uh, uh, we ended uh, last week by saying this. Last week, we, we concluded with the Passover. The Passover where the, this was the, uh, the Lamb of God was slain in the place of the firstborn son. And if you ask any of the Egyptians, or if you ask any of the, the, that went with the Israelites, or if you ask any of the Israelites that are part of this congregation, who are you? You know what they would have said? They would have said, well, we were slaves. We're slaves in a foreign land under sentence of death. But we took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. We took shelter under the blood. Are you all getting that feedback? All right. Rye, do you hear it? You think we're good? All right. Cool. Let me, let me get this thing situated. All right. We feel good about it? All right. Round two. All right. And action. All right. <laughs> Well, who were they, who, the question I'm trying to answer is who, were, who would the Israelites said that they were? And they would have said this. They would have said that we are slaves. We're under condemnation of death. We took shelter under the blood of the Lamb, right? And then we were set free, and we're on our way to the promised land, but we're not there yet. And we're living uh, in the presence of our God who's given us the tabernacle, and he's also given us the law so that we can know him and enjoy him. And remember I said this. This is exactly what you and I say that are in Christ today. Almost word for word. Almost exactly. We took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. We're, we're uh, wandering in the wilderness with the law of God in the presence of God on our way to the promised land, and we're not there yet. It's the exact same thing. See, this is, our, this is our story. This is our story. And what we see here in the Red Sea crossing are three things. 
three things that help us understand uh, what our salvation actually is in Jesus. Number one, salvation is primarily about getting out of slavery. Salvation is about getting out of slavery. Number two is what we see here is salvation is about crossing over by grace. Crossing over by grace. And number three, salvation is only attainable through the mediator. Through the mediator. So number one, I'll give them again if you're taking notes. Salvation is about getting out of slavery. It's also about crossing over by grace. And it's only, it's only uh, capable and it's only uh, attainable through the mediator. All right? So let's jump into our text and let's see how this whole, this whole uh, section plays out. Verse 5 of chapter 14, look what it says. And the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? We have let go, uh, we have let Israel go from serving us. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) That's an interesting way to, it's not like he he just fired them as a waiter from Applebee's or anything like that. No, what, what actually happened? No, they just lost their entire slave labor force after they had been, absolutely devastated by the plagues. You see, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh one more time. He strengthened his pride so that he would say, I'm going back after those slaves. I'm going to call them back. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to say, you have to come back and serve me. You have to come back and honor me and me alone. And what else do we see here? We see in verse 11, it says, uh, whenever the Uh, Israelites saw that the Egyptians, that their old slave masters were coming back for them. What what does it say? It says that uh, they were terrified. They were terrified because all all the king's horses and all the king's men were coming, right? They're all coming um, after them. And look what they say to Moses. They said to Moses, is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you have taken us out here uh, away in the wilderness to die? We have (laughs) done... Why have you done this and bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. Notice what they're saying. They're saying, it was better for us to be in slavery. It was better for us there. Is that really what they said? If you know your Bibles well, go back to uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 29. And let me read that to you real, real briefly. This is what it says. Then uh, this is after the call, the burning bush uh, episode and the call of Moses and Aaron. It says, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the, uh, the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the the Lord had visited the people and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and worshiped. Is that what they remember? <laughs> remember they say here, they're like, we told you to leave us alone. And here they were like, we're worshiping the one true God. You see, they're conflicted. They're conflicted, absolutely. And in, uh, this isn't the last time that they do this. This isn't the last time that uh, their old slave masters call for them and they want to go back to their slavery. This isn't the last time that this happened. In Exodus chapter 16, you know what that says? It says, in in Egypt, we sat around eating pots of meat and bread to the full. And you have brought us out into the wilderness to starve. You've brought us out to the wilderness to starve. You see, the Israelites, they just keep on wanting to go back. 
They keep on wanting to go back into their slavery over and over and over again. You see, what this passage is teaching us is I think you and I, uh, we're caught up. We're caught up sometimes, and we believe the, the lie of the enemy that says, if you want to get out of your slavery, your healing is going to be more painful than your captivity. Your, your healing is actually going to be more painful than your captivity. So why don't you just stay in your slavery? Why don't you just stay in your sin? You, you really don't want to get out of it, right? Because that's painful. So I think so many of us in the Bible belts, we, we, we know what we need to do. We know how to follow Jesus. We, we've heard, the, we, we heard all the passages. We, we know that we need to uh, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. We know that we should read our Bibles. We know that we should pray. We know that we should worship. We know that we should commit ourselves to the body of believers. But that, that's hard. That's hard. This thing over here, sure, it's enslaving me. Sure. But at least it's predictable. At least it's predictable. And listen, folks, that's a lie. It's a lie. And we need a part of our scripture today is can we wake up to understanding that our former slave masters are going to come again and again and again and again and say, come back and serve me. Come back. You need me. Worship me only. You don't need to, you don't need to turn. That's, that, that's painful. That's real pain. Your captivity is comfortable. You see, we all have Stockholm Syndrome with our sin, don't we? We have Stockholm Syndrome. You know what that is? Where we protect our captors. Oh, he's not that bad. She's not that manipulative. Uh, my boss really, my, it really isn't that bad. And what are we doing? We're protecting, we're protecting the, sla- the, the, the sinful tendencies that are trying to hold us down and keeping us from experiencing life, which is truly life. And there's no greater, there's no greater word in all of the Bible than redemption. And this word redemption literally means to loose, to loose the chains, to break free, to break free. And this is the heart of the gospel, the very heart of our understanding of what it means to get out, to get out of our captivity and out of our slavery. Because this is what we need to recognize that our slave masters are going to continually beckon us back into our slavery. But the ultimate reality that we need to understand is that in redemption, we're free. We are free. What, what happened to the Israelites right here? Were they free? Were they released from their slavery? Pharaoh, in a couple of chapters before, get out of my sight. You will never see me again. Get, leave forever and ever and ever. He said, I'm free. But now he's changed his mind. He says, come back. And so what's the first thing we need to understand about our, salva- about our salvation here is that uh, there's bondage that we need to get free of, but this, bond- this bondage has different layers that we need to work through. Different layers. Okay, let me explain a couple of them. Number one, the first layer that you need to kind of process through is that you are objectively free from your sin and the law. You're objectively free from it, all right? That is a truth that the Word of God says. You're no longer slaves. You're no longer captives. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the problem is, subjectively, we don't feel like we are, right? Subjectively, we feel, we, we still feel that there's layer after layer after layer that we have to continually work through. 
we have to continually work through. And I've reflected on this, and I think uh, it's probably because of the image of God, of why this is so hard for us to work in. But um, I was a, uh, a youth pastor at First Baptist Church Littlefield. There's actually two of us in the room right over here. Ken, I'm glad you're here, man. Um, uh, former youth pastors from First Baptist Church Littlefield. And it, it was a small church, an older congregation. So uh, there was a day, uh, a day a week designated that I would go and visit people in the hospital over and over and over again. And I don't know if, um, if it was because I was the young buck that walked into uh, a hospital room or they were just, they were either trying to serve me or they just had time to think and reflect on their life. But the common theme that I heard over and over and over again is I haven't lived the life that I should have lived. There, there's, yeah, I think deep down, you see, I think it's probably because of the image of God. We all know that we should have been perfect. I think deep down, we all know that there is this, uh, there's this debt that has been accumulating based on us not living the way that we're supposed to live. And, and what I've noticed whenever I'm sitting, whenever I've sat with person after person after person that is very, very ill, there seems to be this sense of regret over their life of I should have done more. I should have loved God more. I should have loved others more. I should have loved my family more. And I noticed that over and over and over again. And um, another example of this, of trying to break free of understanding that we're objectively free from trying to be perfect or trying to earn our salvation is Davis was reading a book uh, the, uh, about a month ago. He, he mentioned it's called The, the Triumph of the uh, Modern Self. Uh, is that what it's called? The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And I tell you what, Davis goes on to explain some of the premise of this book. I fell asleep instantly, all right? On the spot, instantly asleep, okay? It was so, so boring. But I started reading it, and uh, it was actually pretty interesting if you're a nerd. That's what I learned, all right? So no offense, Davis. I'm right there with you. So nerds, listen up. Uh, In this book, it talked about two different forms of parenting that have been kind of dominant in uh, 20th century and 21st century. It's one form of parenting is focusing on, you know, being hyper strict, kind of the helicopter parenting. Uh, He says it in very, very scientific terms, and I'm not going to go there, but it was kind of helicopter parenting by uh, looking at your kids and saying, obey, 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 and being really harsh and really strict. And and that does something to a kid psychologically whenever they're growing and developing. It makes them feel like I'm never measuring up. But there's this other form of parenting. Uh, that uh, is instilled within our culture, which is, uh, I forget what he calls, I think he calls it self-esteemism within the book, but it's essentially uh, this idea of you can, it's, it's kind of the Disney Channel parenting, you can do whatever you want, you can be whoever you want, here are my parents right here, five, uh, five foot six and six foot, and if uh, uh, this type of parenting would say, if you want to be the next Shaquille O'Neal, you just, you just have to go for it, man. You can be the next seven. No, there, there's no way that I can be the, the next dominant center in the NBA. There's absolutely no way that I can be that. But uh, the self-esteemism uh, produces within uh, our kids, if you just say, go after it. Be, you know, if you want to be Peter Pan when you grow up, you just, you just do it. If you want to be a pirate when you grow up, you cut, you cut off that leg. You cut off that hand. You know, you put on the hook. You put on the peg leg. You just, you just have to go for it. And uh, that is equally damaging to our kids 
because they, they grow up very, very entitled. And whenever they get into the real world and they know and understand, oh, no one really cares about me uh, the way that I thought they should have, <laughs> Uh, then life gets very, very, very hard. And uh, how we interact with what we're supposed to do morally uh, is, is very, very damaging. And so parenting can add and subtract to this. But uh, I think the, the bottom line is this. We all have this sense of we're not who we are supposed to be. We're not who we're supposed to be. But, but this is what salvation is. That's Okay. We know and understand. Jesus gets it. God know, knew that you weren't who you were supposed to be, and so he objectively set you free. He objectively set you free, and you have to work that in. you got to work that in. And until you work that in, and until you work that in, there's going to be continual layers of brokenness. Continual layers of brokenness. Here's another layer. Um, whenever you come to Christ, you have certain sinful habits. And typically what happens whenever you come to Christ is this. God um, through his power to show you that he has made you new and transformed your heart. He takes one, of, one area of your brokenness and he helps you fix it. Depending on the level of brokenness or whatever you ask God to take away, typically early on whenever you come to Christ, he'll fix one little component of it. But just like Pharaoh, that thing will come raging back, I promise you, at some point. And you'll be like, what's wrong? Maybe I'm not actually saved. Well, I, I thought God was, was saving me to, 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 to change my moral behavior and to transform me and make, to make me absolutely new. He's like, yeah, 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 but you need to understand there's different layers that the good news of the gospel has to work in, has to work in deep in your heart. Uh, there was a college student that came up to me one day and said, Cody, I, uh, I really need you to pray for me. Uh, I'm not doing good in this semester, and it's, it's about halfway through. Midterms just finished, and I am failing almost every single class. I said, all right, man, like, I, I love you. I want to pray for you. Um, how can I help? Let's look at some of your schedules. Let's, let me give you some practical tips. How can I help you with this? And he said, okay, yeah, uh, I'm good. Uh, yeah, can you just pray for me? I was like, all right, no, let's dig in a little bit. Let's dig in and look at some things that are going on in your heart, maybe going, going on in your schedule. Uh, why don't you pull up your screen time app on, on, on your phone? You know where this is going. <laughs> and let me, let, me, let me just look at it, and maybe we can assess. We can assess how much time are you spending on here and, and how little time you're actually studying. And I looked on there, and uh, you know what it said? Eight hours a day on TikTok and YouTube. Some of y'all don't know what TikTok is. <laughs> it's basically the same thing as YouTube. Little things, I don't know what it is either, but it's just, it's different videos. Eight hours a day. No wonder, no wonder uh, you, you weren't able. So like, like this, is, this is step one. This is step one to be able to recover in all of us in the same way. All of us, uh, whenever we come to Christ for the first time, we have these sinful Habits that we don't even know are there. They're kind of invisible to us, but the gospel doesn't just have to be worked in one time and then we're good. It has to be worked in over and over and over and over again to where it's breaking down the layers and the barriers of your heart to make sure that you're completely and transformed to be new. And guess what? This is what this is that uh, theological word sanctification. This happen, God is not working doing this very quickly. God is transforming you or sanctifying you over the course of a lifetime. So guess what? You're working the gospel in over the course of your life. That's what the Bible says. Uh, if you want to be free objectively from 
uh, from your sin, if you want to work down uh, the gospel into the, the layers of your heart, you have to recognize that there's different sinful habits that uh, are going to take a whole lot of meditation on the gospel to work this in. And lastly, there's another thing. There's another layer. Um, there's uh, these things that the Bible calls oh, over and over and over again. It talks about called idols. And me and you, if, if we really want to understand what it means to be free and transformed by the grace of Jesus, we need to understand what Old Testament idols actually are. And this is what they are for us modern people and how we think through them. Because a lot of times you hear idols and like, been there, check, don't do that, don't have a shrine in my closet to, to Buddha or anything like that, right? So I'm good. I don't worship any idols. But this is how the Bible describes it. If you love anything more than God, that thing is functionally an idol in your life. You're, you're, it's kind of a pseudo-God. You've entered into a covenant with it by you saying, this is something that I desire over God. Therefore, my heart's affection, it's something that I've deemed worthy of my life or worthy of worship. If there's anything in your life that's more important to you than God, if there's anything that, that gives you more significance or more worth in your life than God, then that's an idol, and it's taking the place of God on the throne of your heart. And listen to me, idols are not always evil things. They're not always something that is absolutely t terrible. It's not always a Baal that you're bowing down and worshiping. An idol could be something like caring way too much about your family. And he's like, well, isn't that a good thing? Aren't we supposed to honor our mother and father? Aren't we supposed to do all these things? Yeah, yeah, but if, if, if your family... If you're thinking through and processing through your family, as if I lost that, I would, I would disintegrate. I would absolutely be lost. And it, then it is out of order in the order of how God has produced flourishing within your life. Because uh, God is supposed to be at the center of everything, and everything else is supposed to revolve around that. But if you have family at the center of it, and God, what happens when something happens to your family? You're not just upset and mourning in the appropriate way, but you are devastated, and you're railing at God. And you're saying, God, how dare you? Because what are we saying? God, how dare you dethrone the idol on, on my heart? The ultimate, most important thing. Or we can do this with, we, we, guys, we can do this with anything. We can do it with our work. We can do it with ministry. We can do it with almost anything. If there's anything in your life that's more important to you than God himself, and that's, you have entered into a covenant with that thing, and it is, it is essentially saying, you are the thing that my heart's affections and desire sees as the most worthy in, in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move and organize my life and schedule in heart's affections towards pursuing that thing. Idols say, serve me or die, just like Pharaoh. Serve me or die. There is no joy at the end of idol worship. There is just more duty. There is just more things to do. That's all there is at the end of it. And so, these are the layers. These are the layers that... Uh, you have to work in, that you have been objectively free from the law, objectively free uh, from your slavery, but you have to work this good news deep into your heart to where it dethrones the idols, to where it washes out all the sinful habits until you're absolutely made new. So you're absolutely made new. And so, like I said earlier, 
This is just kind of uh, systematic theology. You need to understand that salvation is defined by justification, being made right before God. Sanctification, which means you're being perfected into Christ, being conformed into the image of his son over the course of a lifetime. And glorification, which is you will see him face to face and you will enjoy him forever. And that's what this passage is teaching us, but it's showing us by a story. It's showing us by a story that our old slave masters will continually, continually call us back and say, serve me, worship me, stop pursuing God, come back, come back over and over and over again. So how do we get out? How do we get out of this slavery? Point two, I mentioned this at the beginning, it's by crossing over by grace. It's by crossing over by grace. Uh, Verse 13, look what that says with me in, in chapter 14. It says this. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. See it. Stand firm. Stay steady. Uh, You don't have to do anything. Just behold. Look. God is accomplishing salvation in your place right now. And in verse 21, look what it says. This is real interesting. Um, We didn't read this, or Sarah didn't read this, but uh, it's something that we need to know and understand. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Moses did that, right? And look what it says. And the Lord, did Moses do it? And the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry, dry land, and the waters were divided. The waters were divided. So he's saying, stand firm. Behold the salvation of the Lord. You don't have to do anything. Just behold it. Stand firm. Look at it. Drink it in. And whatever you do, it will transform. It will transform your position and your status before God. This sounds so close. So close to Romans 4-5. Almost identical. You know Romans 4-5? One of the most important passages in all the New Testament. To the one who does not work. But, justif- but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Don't work. Don't accomplish. Anytime you try to add anything to your salvation, Christian, you're subtracting. You're stealing away. You're taking away. Sal- salvation is by grace. It's by grace through faith. And grace, this is how grace operates. By beholding what Christ has done in your place. By beholding the salvation of the Lord. That's what what Moses is calling his people to right now. Behold, you don't have to do anything. There's nothing to be done right here. And and he could have done it in a different way. Think about it. They were standing on the shore in that pillar of fire, which was incredible. (laughs) I wish I could have seen that. That was separating the Egyptians from, uh, from the Israelites. Uh, to where they couldn't go to each other. The protector was back there. God very easily could have said, hey, uh, there's uh, some trees over there. I want you to cut them down. I'll protect you. Cut down those trees and little by little begin to make rafts and get the entire congregation across the Red Sea. Is that? But he could have done that. It's God's prerogative by, by showing uh, that this is how I interact with you in salvation. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that whatsoever. He just says, cross over, go. And God himself makes the Red Sea perfectly dry, perfectly dry. You know what this is teaching us? It's teaching us that Christianity is utterly unique. 
Christianity is all about a change of status. You are in the kingdom of God now, uh, or you're not in the kingdom of God. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant, right? You're either adopted or you're not adopted. It, uh, it, salvation is all about a change of status. All other religions are different. Every single, if, if you're in this room and you think, oh, you know, I just need a little bit more Christianity in my life, and maybe that will make me feel like um, it's filling the spiritual void that I have in my life. Listen, uh, Christianity is totally and utterly different than everything else. All other religions, you want to know why? Grace. Because all other religions just do this. They are like building a bridge. They're like building a bridge. How do you build a bridge? You build a tower, right? You protect the tower, and then you build another tower, and then you build, you know, the road, (laughs) the road between those two towers, and then you just keep on going. It's all up to your own effort and energy. If you obey well enough, then maybe God will accept you. That's all other religions in a nutshell. If you work hard enough, if you follow the tenets well enough, then you will be rewarded. Not this God, not this salvation, not this. All this is is crossover and you are saved. It's a change of status. It's a completely change of Hey, listen, and when you recognize that, whenever that gets deep into your heart, whenever you understand that you have to work out that I'm saved just by grace and nothing else, it has mighty power to transform you. Look at Paul. <laughs> Look at Paul. Paul was a murderer. He murdered people. And he was so, he was so honest about his struggles and his sin. In Romans chapter 7, you know what he says? I'm the worst of all sinners. <laughs> I'm the worst of all sinners. The things I want to do, I, I, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing them over and over and over again. You know, that, that there, he says in verse 18, that there's nothing good that dwells within me. Nothing good. He's murdered people, and he is an apostle, church planter, missionary, extraordinaire, uh, the, the most fruitful of all the apostles. He wrote the most books in the New Testament. And look what he says right here. Right here, he's saying, nothing good dwells within me. And then at the same breath, chapter 8, you know what he says? The same breath. But there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. When you get that grace in your life, you have the confidence of, oh, I've crossed over, and there's no condemnation for me. You understand the objective liberty, the objective liberty of experiencing the salvation of the Lord. How is Paul able to do this? He crossed over. He got the grace. He understood it. He worked it into his heart. Even though he was failing over and over and over again, he went back. He went back to, but I'm free. I've been set free. I've crossed over. And God has done it all by his grace. And this really unlocks Ephesians. This passage really unlocks Ephesians 2.8. That you are saved by grace through faith. This not from yourselves. It is, it is the gift of God. It's when you focus on the grace that it produces more and more faith. Whenever you pr- focus on the grace. Because here in the Bible Belt, what do we do? We say, man, you know what, if I just had faith like that, and I, I just need to cultivate and produce more faith within myself. I need to, I need to have more faith. Listen, let me, can, we, can I uh, call, cause us all to pause right there, if, you're, if, you've ever, if you've ever thought that? Romans 12, 3. Write it down, look it up later. It says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned it. 
He's assigned it. And so we're saved by crossing over by grace. And how do we receive faith? Uh, God has assigned it. Uh, how is this illustrated here? Let me, let me help you understand. Remember what it says about the wall of water on the right and on the left? The wall of water, they're crossing over. And I promise you, there was two different groups. I get this from D.A. Carson. I think it's just gold. Uh, there's two different groups in this, in this um, congregation that are crossing over in the Red Sea. Number one, uh, the group I, I like to call the group of gusto. The group of gusto, they're looking around and, uh, at, at the very first aquarium that has ever existed. They're like, wow, you know, grouper right over here. And come, come over here, Nile crocodile. You know, they're looking at all this stuff and they're like, wow, this is, am- this is absolutely amazing. And they're looking back at the fire that is protecting them from the Egyptians. And they're going, eat it, Egyptians. Our, our God is amazing. Look at this. This is amazing. They're, they're dancing the whole way through on dry ground. I promise you. And I promise you this. You know this has to be true, that there were several people that jumped in a wagon, covered themselves with a blanket, and were terrified the entire time. They were saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I can't look, I can't look, I'm so scared. And both were equally saved. Both crossed over. Both were saved. You want to know why? Because it's not the quality of your faith that saves you, Redeemer. It is the object of your faith that saves you, the Redeemer. It is the Redeemer that saves you. It is not your faith that saves you. It is Jesus. It is Jesus that saves you, and you have to understand that. You can cross over by grace, and whenever you focus in on that grace, it will produce a natural love and faith in your heart, in your heart. And so how do we, how do, we do this? How do we do this? How do we continue to cultivate this in in our lives. Well, that brings me to my last, last point. Brings me to my last point. Why were the Israelites saved and the Egyptians weren't? Have you thought about that? Remember last week we talked a little bit about it where the, God said, don't go out from under the shelter of the blood of the Lamb if you do, you are no better than the Egyptians. God was coming down on sin. He wasn't coming down on a nationality or a people group. He was coming down to execute judgment on sin. That's what he was doing. And so why? Why did God's uh, wrath, waters of wrath, protect the Israelites and not protect the Egyptians? I'll tell you why. Because the Israelites had a mediator. They had a mediator that protected them. Look at what it says in verse uh, 15. Before verse 15, before I even go there, remember that the Israelites were crying out against the Lord and against Moses. Why did you bring us out here to die? Why did you do this, Moses? God is going to kill us. Were there not enough graves in Israel? Why, why, why? And what did Moses say? No, stand firm. Behold the salvation of the Lord. He was the one trying to preach to them and help them understand that salvation was about to be accomplished on their behalf. And then the Lord said, in verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry against me? Talking to Moses, not talking to the Israelites. Now there's two ways to be thinking through this. A couple of liberal commentators have said this, that obviously this was just Moses joined in with the grumbling of the people, or he wouldn't have uh, said this to uh, Moses at all. But a, a couple of more thoughtful commentators said, why? 
Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Because what we see here is that Moses was being blamed, blamed for the, the, the grumbling of the people. Moses was being blamed for the sins of the people right here. And later on, remember what it says in verse 21, that Moses stretched out his hands and then the Lord drove back this, the water? Mo- Moses was being blamed for the sins of the people. And Moses was the actor whose God's power drove back the Red Sea. You see what's happening here? Moses is the man in the middle. Moses is the mediator. But guess what? We have a better mediator. A much better mediator than this. We don't have just someone who was blamed for the sins, but we, took, we have a mediator who took on the sins of his people. We don't have a, a mediator who was, whose power was identified through him. We have a mediator who was God himself. In Jesus Christ, we have the ultimate mediator who took on our sins and at the same time had the power of God working in and through him to accomplish our salvation to accomplish our salvation. Dear friends, don't you see that Jesus is the way? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No one crosses over except through him. He is the bridge. He is the dry, the dry ground. Jesus is the way. And, and this is what I want you to notice. I'm done. But I, I want you to notice this. notice this. Where are the Ten Commandments in all this? Did they know it? Do they abide in it? Were they saved because they kept the Ten Commandments? They haven't even received them yet. They hadn't even received them. You see, God saves us and then tells us how to obey him and to trust him and to enjoy him. The same is true today. The same is true today. You don't have to clean up your life to come to Jesus. You just have to see him. You just have to cross over. You just have to cross over through the mediator. That, that is the only way. That is the only way. And listen, the more you understand that your salvation has nothing to do with you and is just, just about crossing over, has nothing to do with your behavior, has nothing to do with your righteousness, the more it will change your behavior. The more it will. The more you realize that it's all of grace, the more you meditate on that, the more you will be transformed by that grace to love God and to enjoy him. But, but if you peer just at the, the other things, if you peer, oh, I need to be reading my Bible, and you just read, 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 that's you, that's you living under the law and not living under the freedom of his grace. It is only by meditating on his grace that will produce obedience in and through you. You see, you've got to get the order right. All other religions are obey me and you might be accepted. Christianity is you are accepted. Now you can obey. Now you can enjoy. Uh, Stephanie and I just recently finished uh, The Chosen. Anybody watch this yet? I recommend it from whatever authority this platform is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I recommend it. It's an app that you can look, that you can watch. And uh, I, listen, I have a really high guard of like cheesiness and Christian media stuff. This is excellent. All right, this is absolutely excellent. And um, one of the, the episodes that talked about Jesus calling Nicodemus to follow him and enjoy him, uh, it always goes back to the Old Testament. 
And in this, and in this scene, it, see, it shows Moses hammering a bronze serpent over and over and over again. And Joshua walks in, and he starts arguing with them, and he says, there's people dying all over the place because we disobeyed God. And he, that's when, if you remember your Bible in Numbers, I think 23, uh, where it, it, it shows that uh, the people disobeyed, and he sent fiery serpents into the camp to bite them, and they were all dying slowly because of these venomous bites. And the way of salvation that God offered back in the book of Numbers was telling Moses to, to forge this bronze serpent and to put him up on a stake and put him on top of a hill and say, if you crawl and you look at him, if you just look, then you will be healed. Listen, dear friends, dear friends, if you see Jesus on the cross, in your place, by his grace, you will be healed too. And I don't care. I don't care how many times you've heard this message. I don't care how many times you've heard this message. There's got to be someone in this room that has said, oh, I, I get it. That the, the, the objective layer in your heart has just burst through for the very first time. I get it. And if you see Jesus as a representation of God's wrath being poured out, we should have been on the cross, right? We should have been on the cross. And when you look to him, you will be saved. You will be healed. You will be transformed. You will cross over. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Have you crossed over by his grace? Have you accepted the mediator as your bridge? Have you worked the gospel deep into your heart, Christian? Because you're not going to get through it. You're not going to get through it by saying, you know what, I need to fix this area and this area. I need to focus over here. I need to focus over here. That's like going, that's like negotiating with your slave masters. Hey, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm kind of doing this Jesus thing. Tuesday, Thursday, I guess I'm free, and you can kind of call me back into slavery over here. Don't do that. Behold, the Lord of lords, the master of masters, the king of kings, the God of gods, Jesus in your place. And when you do, when you do, you'll begin to realize that, oh, he's making me new in every single area. He's making me a new creation today. And again, and again, and again. It's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only way to cross over. And that's my hope for us, that we cross over, that we worship him, we see him as the mediator, and we work this truth deep into our hearts until it changes us forever. Today, tomorrow, in the dec next decade, in the Redeemer Church, this will be your anthem forever and ever. Let's pray.